Friends and neighbors, you're listening to Portland from the left. My name's Josh. I use he and him pronouns. And my name is Piper. I use she, her pronouns. And today we're going to be talking to our friend Rose. Rose, could you introduce yourself? My name is Rose and I use she, her pronouns and I'm delighted to be here with you two. And today we're going to be talking about the city auditor's office in Portland, Oregon. My first question, when we talk about elected offices in Portland, I know that there's six of them. And I know that five of them are commissioners or, you know, four commissioners plus one mayor who's also a city commissioner. But then there's a separate office of the auditor. Can you tell me a little bit about like why we have a separate auditor's office, what that is, what they do? In theory, the separate auditor's office is supposed to ensure independence uh, in the work of auditing. So the point of having an auditor is to make sure that any bureau or office that receives city funding is actually spending that funding on the things that they say they're going to. That seems like yeah, a good it seems thing. like a good thing. You would think that, in, you know, this would be great. And also, if people are found to be in violation of various city rules, the auditor's office is in charge of assessing what kind of penalty or fine they will have to pay in order to make up for their various mistakes or perhaps intentional bendings of the rules. Where we run into some issues is that the city auditor's office is not always as independent sort of structurally as we wish that it were. And therefore, it's difficult for them to maintain the sort of level of true independence and um, detachment from the workings of other city bureaus that would be necessary to provide really clear independent oversight of these entities. And so what's what's an example of something in Portland, the auditor's office has had oversight over and just done the job that they're supposed to do. A pretty good example of this is the recent audit of the Downtown Clean and Safe Enhanced Service District. So um, Enhanced Service Districts, this is a very kind of loose definition of what they are. I'm sure someone with more expertise could provide better information, but basically it's kind of a public-private partnership to make sure that a certain part of the city, usually some sort of business district, um, functions as it's supposed to. And the deal is that the the businesses in the district kind of put up some of the funding for private security, enhanced trash pickups, um, extra the extra little touches that make it look nice, flower beds, <laughs> yada yada. And then in exchange, the city will provide things like um, designated clerks within the district attorney's office that will handle only cases to do with those businesses. They will have police liaisons that work with the armed security, are often armed. That's what these people seem to prefer. So they'll have a police liaison to address, you know, policing incidents that happen in in those areas. Any kind of criminal activity is supposed to be kind of handled through this very designated channel. And this is, you know, kind of problematic for a number of reasons. Uh, One would hope that We would live in a place where there would be sort of corporate taxation such that it wouldn't have to be businesses putting up money Mm -hmm. to get basic services taken care of because that would just be automatically part of it in taxation. But because this is what it is, we have these enhanced service districts. There's one in Lloyd Center. There's the Central East Side one. And then there's Downtown Clean and Safe. Very (laughs) spiffy name for this one. And the auditor's office, I want to say mid-late 2020 released an audit of downtown clean and safe where they were looking into okay the city has been providing funding for the various functionings of this district what's it actually being spent on are the things functioning as they're supposed to and one of the big things that this audit revealed is that because there's this kind of weird i'm not going to say that they're like private police but basically there's private security that are serving the function of police within Mm -hmm. that district. They're supposed to be liaising with actual police. And crucially, the police commissioner, who at the moment happens to be Ted Wheeler, is supposed to review 
all of the reports that are made by these private security, all of the kind of policing stuff happening within ah. that district. So it's supposed to still fall under the function of policing to some degree. Yes. And it's supposed to be supervised through the kind of appropriate policing hierarchy. And uh, specifically, the commissioner is supposed to be reviewing all of this to ensure that these security people aren't, you know, behaving in unconstitutional ways, even though they are private sector. Um, and it was determined that Ted Wheeler just hadn't done that at all. Hmm. Um, so this report was released showing that he was supposed to have been conducting these reviews. He was supposed to be very clued into what was happening. He was supposed to have an awareness of who was operating security, how many people there were, what kinds of things they were doing, what kinds of compl- calls they were answering. And that he, that information had not reached his uh, awareness. Using this as an example of an audit where... Um uh, the auditor's office performed an audit on clean and say found that it was not doing the things that had been agreed upon. Um, in this case, the the police commissioner wasn't doing the things he agreed to do in relationship to the contract. Um, is there any like result or is it just another one of these kind of reports that hits the news and it is what it is? You know, I am not completely sure what the result was supposed to have been. I know that there was supposed to be a fine assessed. Um, I think that the fine that wound up being assessed was considerably lower than there's kind of legal precedent for it being. The Portland Business Association was found guilty of having performed uh, lobbying violations. Ah, that was where they with were, Sam Adams, right? They were talking to Sam a lot. They were texting Sam a lot. They were, and specifically texting, you know, maybe sometimes on his work phone, sometimes on his personal Sexual phone. harasser Sam Adams? Sexual harasser Sam Adams. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, uh, whose unprofessional behavior is why myself and many other Portland voters declined to vote for him in the primary, which is why it's really bizarre that supposed respecter of the democratic process, Ted Wheeler, nevertheless, created a position for him so vague that the job description on the Portland website does not actually mention any tasks that he is supposed to do. <laughs> Are you saying that director of strategic innovation is not a specific title for a specific role with a specific uh, expertise? There's no definition of what actually constitutes a strategic innovation, <laughs> what uh, actual duties go into innovating strategically, uh, what is being innovated about. Rose, I feel like you're <laughs> suggesting that people in power may not know what they're doing. I, I'm just saying that uh, if they do know what they're doing, there's no way for the public to access that knowledge when for most people within city government, their job descriptions are quite clearly listed under their name on the website for whichever bureau employs them. Fair point. Fair point. So kind of getting back to this audit, one yes. of the things he was doing was talking to the Portland Business Association a lot. Yes. They were having extremely chummy, friendly conversations about, I don't know, Negronis. I don't know what these people are interested in. But in addition to, uh, you know, choices in, in menswear and cocktail apparel, <laughs> attire, whatever, um, there was also quite a bit of... I'm just assuming. I don't know what kinds of things occupy the mind of Sam Adams <laughs> that he would be wanting to text people. We about. know, unfortunately, a little unfortunately, too much. Like, pretty keen into what kind of things he's involved with. Anyway, so Sam Adams was texting with these people quite a bit, and it turned out that a lot of the texts um, wound up the convers the topics of conversation wound up being related to various. I, I'm trying to think of a specific instance. It was something like. Um, I think this was around the time that Ted Wheeler decided to create a job position called the Downtown Retail Advocate. Mm, yeah, um, they were doing they were talking about salaries of that position, I believe. Yes, and so the original salary was going to be that it was, you know, very part-time. It was maybe only going to be something like a, like an honorarium of $2,000 and then it was boosted to no, this is going to be an actual part-time role with a salary of $20,000, which, you know, not a living wage, who's going to be taking that? Hard to say, but that is definitely a, t- a tenfold increase over what was originally being discussed. I could have some of those numbers wrong. I'm 
not super clear on that. But basically, what it amounted to is that these conversations were having direct impact on policy and that therefore they could be classified as lobbying. Mm -hmm. And um, there is kind of a historically uh, known about fine for lobbying. And if you added up that fine times number of undisclosed lobbying incidents the fine it, that would have amounted to $75,000 which you know we're at a time when city government is very is stretched very thin they're having to make all kinds of cuts all over the place um funding for various things that used to be available is not so much it would be really nice if the people who do have money were able to put it where it is supposed to be but um the current city auditor who ran unopposed at her last election she declined to assess the full amount of the fine and instead uh, gave them a gentle little wrist slap of, yeah, I, I think, think like, like $450. Something along that line. It's really, it seems pretty similar to when she failed to provide a significant fine to Ted Wheeler for loaning himself mm-hmm. money over and above what was allowed. Seems yep. really related, yeah. actually. I feel mm-hmm. like, I do recall that during um, the 2020 election year, there were actually a lot of campaign finance strangeness happening um throughout the election so do you do you know what what she actually did in relation to that in any of these instances i do know that the reason that ted wheeler had to loan himself one hundred fifty thousand dollars um is that actually he had been dinged with fines uh quite a few fines for mm. contributions above limit and that what was special about the loan to himself is that it was him putting in his own money but he had been dinged for getting larger donations from other people or from, um, I think it was anonymous donations above the limit for what can be anonymous. Um, uh, okay. I wasn't directly involved with this part of Sarah Aaron's mayoral campaign, but my understanding was she had quite a few um, friends who were lawyers or significant sticklers for rules and were good at like finding where Ted was making mistakes. And so yeah. that would have been my like guess on what was going on, that they were like really jabbing at him, trying to make sure that he you know paid every fine that was possible, um, trying to use that as a method to, you know, attack his campaign yeah. which yeah. i support yeah absolutely i think i mean but wasn't involved in so i just want to mention that yeah i mean i think you know the rules exist for a reason uh people we all who voted are, for them we all voted for him, them people who are seeking to hold po- political office ought to abide by the law <laughs> if you're if you're going to get into a position where you're supposed to be upholding and making laws then you ought to abide by all of them that, uh, that seems like a reasonable standard to hold someone to, Rose. I think so. So so the auditor's office was assessing fines then throughout yes. the campaign. Yes. So then we get to, we're really at the wire here. We're near the end of the campaign. Um, I believe Ted's campaign manager left. Uh, Ted's campaign manager left to take a position with the Portland Business Association. The Portland Business Association? You mean the same Portland Business Association, which is effectively Portland's like, uh, what do they call them in other places? Chamber of Commerce. Chamber yeah. of Commerce that we were just talking about didn't get fees associated or mm-hmm. assessed to it for mm-hmm. other problems. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, we're talking about a timeline that's kind of all over the place happening over the last year and a half. But consistently, we've got people in power not paying for their mistakes and working together to secure more power for themselves. It's also um, interesting to note that in terms of where local news coverage around all of this is, that uh, one of the owners of the Oregonian is also, I think, the current president of the Portland Business Association. Mm -hmm. And so every time that there's an opinion piece or an article that is insufficiently well reported about the Portland Business Association's activities, um, there really ought to be a disclaimer printed saying that actually the Oregonian is not independent from this. Yes. Um, This is not to knock the O as a whole. I do think that there are some really excellent reporters who work there, but I do think that some of their um, conflicts of interest, editorial policies ought to be more 
uh, forcefully disclosed in order yes. to maintain a standard of independent journalism. And, you know, there are certain things they do that it is their editors that are making the choices, like yes. things like endorsing a candidate. That's the editors exactly. making that choice. And, you know, the Oregonian endorsed Ted Wheeler. The Oregonian has members in the PBA. So Ted Wheeler's endorsed and then he's out of money. Because you were talking about all these small uh, lawsuits for him breaking mm -hmm. smaller rules were adding up. Um, we know that Ted Wheeler had trouble fundraising um, from smaller donors, that he didn't get as many donations, like numerically, mm -hmm. as other candidates. Um, so then he loans this money. And then what happens? Because I've heard a lot of people talk about this in a really weird way. They say, like, actually, he didn't break the law, blah, 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 blah. What actually happened here, Rose? Like, how did, what did the auditor do? So the auditor's conclusion about all of this was like, yes. The law was voted for. There was some kind of slightly hinky thing about the timing of it being actually enacted versus just voted on. And then she also felt, okay, yes, this law exists. However, there is precedent in other jurisdictions for people suing and it going to court. And then the court finding that the law was flawed somehow. And, and so rather than kind of allowing that process to happen and leaving that in the hands of a judge, she decided to preempt that whole process and decided, you know, if Ted Wheeler were to subsequently sue the city over our enforcing the campaign limit, that would be a big problem. We don't want to deal with all of that. Therefore, we will just let this one slide. So instead, we'll let a would-be broke campaign do something that's on paper illegal. Correct. Potentially changing the outcome of an election. Correct. Uh, sidebar, I just want to say that Ted Wheeler's campaign signs were some of the most strikingly ugly campaign <laughs> signage I've ever seen. Deeply the, ugly. Yeah. The combination of colors yeah. alone, I just don't understand what associations he was trying to conjure with this kind of dark bluish gray, like a sort of house flipper mm -hmm. gray, this dark brown. House flipper gray. House flipper gray. That's a nice, <laughs> nice name for it. It was, and the combination of fonts, it was just yeah. like you... You know, perhaps because at that point his campaign was low, running low on money, he couldn't actually afford like a decent design firm. And I like to imagine him himself like home on Canva on his phone, just like pushing <laughs> stuff around like this will work. This will be fine. There was the amazing um, Portland billboard that Sam Adams tweeted out that was not actually a billboard in Portland, Oregon. He had just Googled Portland billboard. Ah, yeah. And pulled up an, about that. a stock image of Portland stone in England and then photoshopped in <laughs> one of the here for Portland signs onto it. Uh, so which, there's definitely some rogue design work going on in the mayor's office. <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it just kind of, if you think about sort of the, um, well, Sam, Sam Adams liked to sort of present himself as the arts mayor. It is interesting how people with kind of real deep knowledge of the arts are not necessarily being uh, employed by this administration. Mm -hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. Especially considering his like Portlandia, you know, put a bird on it kind of. Oh, Portlandia is a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> so now the auditor is up for election. Correct. Um, she has run run unopposed, at least in the most recent, potentially in all the time she's run. I think so. I'm not positive. I've been trying to read about this while you know, we're talking. <laughs> um, but I'm not positive. But I think uh, she won election in 2018. I think before that she she it says she won election in 2015. But I can't mm. really understand what kind of election was. I think the office changed mm. uh, because uh, of that vote to right. give them more autonomy. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a ballot, a ballot measure. So we're a little underprepared on this. But the idea is that she has uh, more autonomy. And now we vote specifically for the auditor's office. I think before before there was like a separate special election vote held every six years or something. Okay. Um, but just assume we're kind of full of shit on that part. But now, 
Um, we can talk the about just the most recent election. Yeah, then. <laughs> we're just talking about the most recent election. We're talking about um, Mary Hall Cabrera, who is the current uh, person that holds the office. And she, again, was elected in 2018 and is up for re-election in 2022. So I also remember um, there was some controversy with her. So this is one of the only times this office made it into like my purview <laughs> was um, when the ballot measure was being formulated for the citizen oversight of police, that most recent mm-hmm. one that we mm-hmm. passed, which is yet to be implemented. I remember she was very strongly opposed to it. She was very strongly opposed to it for reasons that I find somewhat opaque. Um, I think part of it is that the current civilian police oversight board is under her control. Mm. Um, I believe that some of those things are kind of, you know, community volunteer positions. Some of them are, I want to say, maybe paid staff positions. And she was really concerned about kind of, especially in a time of a pandemic, losing income streams for her employees by having their... Uh, work replaced by some other body. Huh. That seems a little weak. And for the record, she she has about 60 employees. So she's like, yeah. you know, part of her role, of course, is being an auditor, auditing things and planning what to audit and stuff. But she also has employees. She needs to make sure that they have a funding or whatever. So I, like, you know, that's taking care of workers is good. It just doesn't seem like a good reason. Yeah, she seems yeah. full of shit. <laughs> Since we were talking about um, her protecting her budget and her being independent from the council, like how independent is she from the council, including in this particular case, the city commissioner? So, I mean, something that we had been talking about prior to recording um, is that I guess the auditor's office used to be sort of a, a, a subpart of the city attorney's office. Uh, the city t- attorney's office has its own weird, weird history. Um, the city attorney's office, similar to kind of like HR at a large corporation or, um, you know, attorney, legal advisors to whatever kind of large company, they exist to protect the city from risk of lawsuits. Gotcha. And often this winds up being the case that, okay, if you don't break the law, then you won't get a lawsuit. But it will also sometimes, um, you know, often, especially in terms of, you know, dealings with the police union, any kind of organized labor contract specifically with police officers, this will wind up being the decision to decline to bring a suit against an officer who has been, you know, shown to be behaving poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, this also, also often means, I think there was a, a case that I was researching where um, somebody's house had been destroyed when the, or parts of it, I guess the door and some other parts had suffered serious damage when police were looking for somebody in the house who mm-hmm. was, I don't know. They had a warrant. They had a warrant. Something like that. And uh, the homeowners thought it would be very straightforward to write to the city and say, you destroyed my door. I would like a new one, please. And uh, that seems like a pretty reasonable ask. Yeah, like if the city yeah. destroyed my door, I would expect them to replace it. Right, and uh, the city determined well because there was criminal activity going on in your property, even though it was in no way associated with you or your property. Um, it's not really our responsibility. It's the the reason for the door's destruction is the person who was committing the crimes. So perhaps you should hit them up first. Oh my god! Um, Luckily, capitalism is all about finding <laughs> who is at fault and making sure it's the person with the least amount of money, so uh-huh. they can't fight back. Yeah. So um, they do things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of things that they've done that are good. I'm sure there have been some of them. They're just not coming to mind immediately. <laughs> Maybe um, if we think of any, we can yeah, that's totally good <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, they've, I don't know. They also did things like um, when a young man was fatally shot by police, they tried to argue that it was his mother's fault for not um, giving him adequate sleeping quarters and huh. that he was behaving erratically because he had not slept well. Was that Quantas Hayes or was that somebody else? That was Quantas Hayes, yes. Um, and so it makes sense that people wanted to get that the auditor's function out of out from under there the attorney's yes office. It, based on because you know the and the attorney's office is also like they're they're not they're explicitly not an independent bureau yeah bureau they they exist to have a side have a side to to take the side of the city of portland 
even if the city of Portland is wrong. Right, yeah. Um, so there was a move made to make the auditor's office kind of more independent from that. However, because the auditor's office is still funded by the city, and this is where it's it's interesting thinking about like what an alternative actually could be, mm-hmm. um, because it is partly up to the rest of the city, city council to decide how much funding they get. Mm-hmm. And this means that, you know, as much as they would like to be pro- uh, providing completely independent reviews, there's still the kind of hesitation of, you know, if I come down really hard on these city bureaus for, for misbehaving, are th- is their vote going to have any impact on how much funding that we have mm-hmm. to continue doing our work? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's serious because you can't do anything if you don't have any resources. Right. I was thinking about that for the the Ted Wheeler issue, because right when that was happening, it was really close to the election was also when they were doing their fall budget. So you really have like a month time period where will this guy be an office or not? Do I want him mad at me when he's deciding how much my office gets? And the the whole council does vote on the budget. um, But the mayor usually proposes a budget first and Mm -hmm. then it's altered from there. So the mayor probably has a little bit more weight than that. He also assigns the bureaus. So he's got a little bit of a hammer Mm -hmm. to try to get people in line on the council. But it is the whole council that votes on the budget. Right. Those are the main cases I wanted to talk about about the auditor. What else? What else comes up for you, Rose? I know you've been looking into it. Um, I've been looking into it some. I, I have have to confess that the auditor's office is one that I I get very confused about. It's hard for me to see, you know, what what could be done differently about this. It is interesting that she's run unopposed, and it Mm -hmm. makes me kind of wonder, like, what kind of person could run against her? What sort of skills that person would need? Think more Um, about that. Yeah, I would like to. I would like to encourage our listeners to think more about that. You know, do we know any? Do we know any CPAs with good Mm -hmm. politics who would be interested in potentially running an opposition campaign? That could be really interesting. Yeah, I know a CPA Um, with good politics that could run for this office. You do. I do. Are you going to throw them under the bus? No, I'm not going to say their name out loud. God no. Um, But I am going to text them when we're done. Yeah. It does seem that Mary is maybe conservative, not conservative in the big C sense, but the small C conservative that potentially, and maybe it has to do with how it used to report through the city's office. I don't know. But she does Mm -hmm. seem like unwilling to challenge power in some instances that have been pretty important, which seems like that could be we could elect someone who's more willing to challenge power. She's much more comfortable challenging power when it's Joanne Hardesty. Yes. Just to note that. That is worth noting. It is definitely worth noting. And I think it's also interesting that... um, it's this weird way that people, and I would say that this is this is certainly a problem in kind of the, the larger National Democratic Party, this kind of like fetishization of the rules mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the sort of like, well, you know, sometimes these rules don't necessarily make sense, but there is precedent for them and we must do our best to abide by them, even if they are. And, you know, I mean, I was the one who was saying that if people are running for elected office, they ought to follow the law. And so I think that absolutely, if, if something is illegal, but then the thing is that when voters stand up to say, okay... The rules as they currently exist, if they are followed perfectly, do not lead to just or equitable results. Therefore, we are voting. We have a ballot measure. We are following the described policy for changing things. We would like 82% of us would like this new police review system. Mm-hmm. Then she's somehow standing up and saying, oh, but that we can't have that. That's too yeah. much of a deviation from the rules. Even when it's, it's, you know, that is being proposed as the lawful workaround mm-hmm. for the current mess that we're in. It does seem kind of interesting that the the two times that she really noticeably has stood up against a rule were times that over 80% of Portlanders wanted it. Yes. And that is very striking. The campaign finance limit is something that was hugely popular. It's like 87% or something. Yeah. You know, I was kind of, I was deferring to her a little bit when she was, you know, trying to get budget for her office. Cause like I, I fought for budgets before I get that. Like it, 
the the logistics of what you're actually trying to do as an organization don't really matter because you're just trying to get make sure your employees are paid. Not that she's a good person, but um, in these two other instances, she's not defending her budget. She's not mm-hmm. protecting anybody. She's just not following the rules in order to defer to people who already have power and wealth mm-hmm. for no good reason. Yeah, that in the PBA instance as well. It, and to find Ted Wheeler would be a, a, a moral good, no matter yeah. what he has done. Mm-hmm. Finding him just for fun would be good. Um, so her not doing it, like, uh, is I think a, a clear indication that she's not um, interested in challenging power in this in ways that maybe um, the people uh, on this podcast or people listening might be interested in. Or even even uh, if you go by voting record, the people of Portland. Yeah, yeah there you go. People of Portland said we want uh, these campaign finance limits, mm-hmm. um, and she says no. And then people of Portland say we want an independent uh, police, whatever the a fuck. New, so obviously, like, the yeah, people yeah. on this <laughs> on this podcast is a little suspicious about an independent right. police review reform, blah blah blah. But that's what Portlanders wanted. We voted for it, and Mary says no. Yeah, and I found yeah, I did find that very surprising. And I think I also did find the um, the argument that the IPR was functioning properly to be quite surprising it's really embarrassing if you go back and watch that video she's like talking about the ipr as though they've ever done anything good and i have seen meetings of the ipr it is not good they only defend cops i really don't think that anyone can say that with a straight face that has paid attention to it at all even people that are solid reformists well ipr is not even PSEP. PSEP also is kind of like doesn't have any teeth doesn't really get anything done has bad people on it but at least PSEP's kind of aimed in the right direction ipr is not even that PSEP has made recommendations that seem solid to me uh, the problem is that that's all they have the power to do. Right. And, and that's they not rec- their fault, right? That's, it's not their fault. But the, yeah, the, they can make a recommendation. The city can say, thank you for your feedback <laughs> and just put it in a box. We really appreciate that. <laughs> Great to hear from you. I think that we're going to need to do a, an episode on the different uh, police accountability things that have been tried in Portland. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's something, I mean, this presumably listeners of this podcast would agree with the stance, but it is kind of this interesting thing where if um, if anyone kind of within the police apparatus were actually meaningfully interested in reform or actually meaningfully interested in building a policing apparatus that would work and that would gain the pu- trust of the public, then in theory they would be on board with right. <laughs> firing cops who put on reinforced gloves to beat innocent people in the back of the head. Or, um, you know, police... Uh, they would be on board with a vaccine mandate for, for officers who are going to be out in the field interacting with vulnerable people who are among the least likely to have access to the vaccine themselves. We are not talking about ACAB. We're not talking about abolish the police. We're just talking about getting rid of the worst. Yeah. Right. And um, we're talking about the new office. Like the major difference that to me is actually meaningful is it would have the power to fire officers, yes. which previously it had to be forced through arbitration. Yes. And there were rule changes that had to happen at the state level. But if this board actually gets implemented, the idea is, yes, it can directly fire, fire officers. That's the new police is, oversight yeah, board, yes. not the not new the auditor's one. office or right. whatever. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. And that's the, one, that's the one that Mary is fighting. Yes. And I mean, it, and it's remarkable because it's, it's been astounding talking to even the most kind of milquetoast moderate people who genuinely believe that homeless people are trying to steal their cars or whatever. Like, they still believe that if a cop kills someone they should lose their job and and clearly we have seen that that is not the case that does not happen at all i mean again you know if we're talking about kind of like police police personnel who are whose sworn duty is to observe or is to uh you know defend the law um breaking laws themselves and facing no consequences for it that one of the highest paid officers in ppb history when he retired last year captain on the vice squad um you know, in his spare time, decided to vandalize public property to make shrines to fallen Nazi officers. Just Google Captain Mark Kruger. You'll find out all you mm-hmm. need to know about him. 
A horrifying person. Yeah. Um, Not only was he a Nazi, he was a vandal. Yeah. <laughs> well, this podcast has uh, varying, varying positions on vandalism, uh, depending on the uh, method and means of vandalism. But we will uh, continue about that later in another time. And I mean, an additional <laughs> point to make about vandalism is that, you know, for ordinary people, whatever, for people whose actual job it is to uphold the law, if you are breaking the law that you are supposed to uphold, that is a dereliction of your job duty for which you should face professional consequences. You know, we've been talking a lot kind of around about the auditor, things she's done, things the office can do, conflicts of interest. Kind of what is your take overall, just if you were to sum it up on Mary and Mary Hull Caballero and the job she's doing as Portland City Auditor? I would say that her work as city auditor has been extremely patchy. I think that a lot of what she does a great job at is identifying and pointing out problems. But when it comes to actually meeting out any kind of consequence for those problems happening, such as in Wheeler's failure of oversight for the security forces within the enhanced service districts or the undisclosed uh, lobbying of the Portland Business Association, both of those things are violations that should have come with consequences, that there should have been some sort of actual measure to, to, to deter them from happening in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that she opted not to enforce fines or, or any kind of, you know, discipline in either of those cases, um, I think is a dereliction of duty on her part. Yeah. And I think because this, it, you know, the city auditor does not sound like a particularly glamorous or notable job title. It seems like it would mostly be a lot of fairly dull number crunching. It's difficult to see how much power such an office can actually have. But I think what we've been learning over the past year or so is year and a half is, how much how much this office actually can do mm-hmm. and you know the consequences of this office being held by someone who doesn't seem to follow through on their findings yeah and you know that that is why i think it would be and but you know because it doesn't sound like a glamorous job because it requires a particular skill set that's very kind of technical and financial i think that it's it's much easier to find someone who's willing to I don't know, leap from like a nonprofit background into running for city council or even leap from being just an ordinary person. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, someone I know from the music scene ran for mayor a while ago and sure. he also makes chain mail in his basement. Um, you couldn't see someone with kind of like that less specialized skill set wanting to get yeah. really pumped about running for a <laughs> job where you're going to have to look at more spreadsheets yeah. than God himself ever intended there to be. Um which is why I think these races do tend to get overlooked a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, it doesn't seem like an exciting thing to run for. And so people who are kind of career politicians, career bureaucrats, feel very secure mm-hmm. that they can kind of do, enact their personal yeah. agenda um, without facing much electoral consequences for that. And I would like to add to that and like just to emphasize a point you made is while it may seem like kind of a boring um, by the books position, We've seen just in the past couple of years time, instances that came up where there was really a lever there where if there was a different person in that role, they could have really fought for Portlanders against yes. powerful people who are a minority in Portland and in some cases aren't even really Portlanders. Sometimes it's outside corporate interests um, that really she could have stood up to them and she didn't. So it was with the mayor trying to buy his way into office, which he has done before, before we had these campaign finance rules. Um, It was with the PBA and it's with the police accountability measures. And these are times that there's really powerful interest that having the right person in that role, they could really wedge something in there and move something around at least a little bit. And she chose not to. I think our pitch with the city auditor's office is that we've got an independent 
office inside the city government. That's one of six elected positions, right? So we only have so many elected positions that we could even offer help or try to get somebody elected into. Um, and it's a, a office that has a roughly $10 million budget with around 60 full-time staff. Um, so like a significant resource, right? And they're focused on, and their whole role is to audit things. Like literally what we are doing on this podcast right now and saying, how is this person? Do they suck? It seems kind of like they suck. Maybe we should figure something else out. And they actually have tools in that office as well. They have tools. I mean, they have professional people that are it seem perfectly capable mm-hmm. at running reports and telling us what's wrong, as we saw with the clean and safe audit. Um, the fact that it hasn't resulted in action, I don't think is necessarily something I can even know whether or not it's because of what's going on with the auditor's office and their limits right now, because um, the person in office doesn't seem committed to challenging power. Mm-hmm. So uh, we really uh, would love um, for uh, people listening to this, if, if you're a CPA, if you know a CPA in Portland, someone that's um, a leftist or has progressive politics, literally email us, portlandfromtheleft at gmail.com. We will... I will, Josh will do whatever he can to try to help um, get someone on the right track to get elected and talking to the right people. You know, we don't believe that electoralism is going to get a socialism. We don't think we're going to inspire a revolution. We're just trying to get fewer people to die. So if you know a CPA with good politics in Portland, reach out Portland from the left and we'll do what we can to help them connect with people that can help them figure out how to run a campaign because neither of us know how to do it. I assume you don't know Rose. No way. (laughs) 